welcome back to Red, White, and Vroom Podcasting, Formula One, IndyCar, and Zeppelin Rallycross, a production of Consolidated Slutheria Media. Official disclaimer, for the purposes of this podcast, I officially know nothing about anything, while Elena knows something about several things, none of them officially. And of course, joining me on the other line... She goes all out for a party like Ferrari on a down here. It is Elena. Thank you. I did buy a lot of balloons. How many balloons? I'm not sure. I blacked out. <laughs> Enough. There are never too many or too few balloons. There are ex- always exactly the right amount. For those listening at home. Party City will deliver inflated balloons to you, you know, any time of day almost. So, for next time you throw out a party, get some balloons. News you can use. All right, we have a special uh, bonus episode. As going into this weekend, we just felt like we could not let it uh, slide with only one episode with the... uh, the I've been trying to come up with a name for how big this weekend is in motorsport. You have two legs of the motorsport triple crown. The driver's accolade, which McLaren is, you know, advertising. Uh, As well as the Coca-Cola 600, which is a race, I'm told. And so we wanted to get back together and do some quick hits going into this biggest weekend in motorsport. Uh, and since last time was all indie all the time with the rain out of Imola, thoughts and prayers genuinely going to the people of that region, um, we wanted to go to Monaco and Formula One. And so I, I just wanted to... Uh, you know, kick us off with just a minute of why I, Monaco gets a lot of guff because especially these days, it's a very processional race. The cars just follow behind each other. Uh, Passing is very difficult. Um, And it has a lot of elitism and such things tied to it. Well, but, so I was I was told once that the only way to watch an F1 race really is to have paddock passes. And I think the equivalent <laughs> for Monaco is the only way to really watch it is to be on your yacht. And not your friend's yacht, your yacht. Yes, yes. I, I was just seeing on F1 TV uh, Will Buxton explaining that uh, the true uh, way to take in Monaco is from trackside at one of the corners. And, you know, I believe it. And honestly, uh, even as I've heard that Monaco is overrated from people who have gone there and it's, you know, a lot of hassle and stuff, I love the Monaco Grand Prix because this to me is what Formula One is. It is glitz. It is glamour. It is international uh, wealth and connections descending upon a nation built around a casino. It is processional racing. (laughs) You know, this is the essence of Formula One. And 
it's beautiful and i love seeing it and i will never forget i think my second ever formula one race that i watched was monaco over at a uh house of a common friend of ours and they had just gotten a new big big tv and watching it i just felt like i was going to stumble through the tv screen (laughs) into a world of princesses and money laundering (laughs) and it was beautiful and not to mention this is the thing with street tracks and especially monaco the formula one cars even as they're going slow for formula one cars are going very fast around what are actual just pre-modern european streets in a mountain town and so when they're going under the tunnel, when they're whipping around chicades, lumbering around chicades, whatever <laughs> it may be, it is, like, that gets my hair standing on it. Elena, your thoughts on Monica? Well, I'm not a huge fan. I'm not a big one for processional racing. Mm-hmm. I, get, I understand the history of it. I think it would be really cool to be there on a yacht, not not on a yacht. Um, and I'm really looking forward to your take on the Las Vegas race. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, it will be a you... race consumed with coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can save that for when we get to that part of the season. But like hearing you describe Monaco, I'm like, I get what what sort of so interesting and so captivating for you about it. Like, I, I get that. But it is, I would say, a bottom quartile race for me. Yeah, I, I'm not saying that it's terribly uh, interesting as a race. And as ever, uh, the cars need to be smaller and lighter. Um, oh, I meant to send you a uh, F1, just sort of some Instagram account that showed, you know, like a classic uh, Formula One race or Monaco Grand Prix race, because it extends before the Formula One championship, uh, and a modern one of cars in those corners. And normally you look at like old, old cars and you're like, man, that's old fashioned. That would not be such an interesting race to see that lumbering around. But even with a 1920s, like front wheel drive behemoths, it's like, no, those things can actually race around Monaco. I, w- I would watch those. So, you know, inspiration for the FIA. I would I would love to see some vintage racing around Monaco. That would be awesome. I mean, I really do appreciate the historical significance of that race, even mm-hmm. if I don't particularly enjoy its current incarnation. This is also reminding me that I absolutely need to get you out to the local vintage race uh yes yes i I can't wait uh out here at the beach uh we passed by a uh, vintage car you know just club that had set up in a parking lot and so i got to go around shooting my film camera on some gorgeous you know uh corvettes and you know, a Shelby. I, I'll send you the pictures, actually. they are, It was a good time. And the sun was out, which is unusual for this beach trip. 
Okay, so uh, quick hits to finish up uh, Monaco. Uh, Mercedes, they have side pods. Yeah. Mercedes learned to stop worrying and love the side pod. <laughs> they, and they picked, you know, obviously they didn't pick, but they have effectively picked the best race in which to debut new technical innovations <laughs> around your aerodynamics, the Monaco Grand Prix. Well, you know, if they work well in quality, that's great news. Because there's not a whole lot of passing in the race. If they don't work well in quality, they're effed. <laughs> Although it could just be... I wonder, what is the fastest speed in quality, even? In oh. Monaco. Uh, it will be interesting to see if... I think the biggest um, test for them this weekend is to see how many of their new parts, or if they can get all of their new parts, to Barcelona intact, without having been claimed by the walls of Monaco. Yeah. Barcelona, if memory serves, is a good race for having new arrow. So, you know, maybe that's really what they have an eye towards. But it's a weird choice. Yes. Obviously, they meant they wanted to debut it at Imola. Uh, Ray Dalt... And they were like, we we all we made such a big fuss, we have to put it out there. Also, potentially, uh, Sam Collins suggested that it may be that they have such a uh, that they have had to modify the chassis itself in such a way that it would not be simple to then just bolt back on the old parts. Yeah. In which case, once again, hoping they keep them intact. um also in formula one news uh we have a reunion elena (laughs) honda racing martin whitmarsh and fernando alonso what could go wrong this just sounds like a recipe for success i (laughs) i mean honda 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 so they have done the classic Honda thing of exiting Formula One only before they've even properly fully left to announce that they're coming back. <laughs> so Honda Honda and Aston Martin announced that Honda will be providing the engine for the Aston Martin in 2026 and onward. So when the new engines come out uh, and the Aston Martin team will be a works team. This is very exciting. That's, I mean, good for Aston Martin, good for good for honda i guess but what's really baffling is that honda was like we want out we're selling our powertrain stuff to red bull you take it over red bull powertrains red bull said great they hired a bunch of people from honda they came over to red bull powertrains they signed on a new you know name sponsor with ford to put their name on the powertrain that honda developed and to you know put their name on the powertrain that red bull's developing for 2026 but now Honda's like, yes. So now that we've gotten rid of all these people who know about F1 powertrains, let's launch a new F1 powertrain for 2026 with a different team. Yeah. Yeah. And um, like you hear you hear a lot about like a lot crapping on American companies for mismanagement or for not having clear direction. And a lot of times, especially in manufacturing, they sort of hold up the Japanese as this like paragon of good management and good manufacturing. And I look at Honda in this situation, I'm like, hmm, really? 
Right. And I, I have already, just with minor podcast and broadcast consumption, seen all of this stuff about how, you know, Honda was so committed to a sustainable future. And that wasn't how F1 was two years ago. <laughs> and But now F1 has made all of these changes and realigned, and they see this as part of their sustainable future. And that's why they're back in. It's no, no. They realized that they looked like uh, darn fools, especially when they started winning championships and they wanted back in and they were in an awkward position. But good to have another manufacturer in. And to have Aston Martin be a works team with the pace that it's showing right now out racing Mercedes as a customer team. Well, and props to Lawrence Stroll for this. I mean, I'm assuming that this is mostly his work because Aston Martin seems to be largely his work. And I mean, Whitmarsh certainly didn't do this. Um, So props to Lawrence Stroll. I mean, he has done a much better job with that team than I thought was possible. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is becoming a genuinely real team. And I appreciated that... uh, at the press conference, questions were asked of, like, is this ideal brand alignment? Because um, Aston Martin uh, is currently a Mercedes customer team and doing very well, uh, you know, as a Mercedes customer team. Um, moreover, Mercedes owns a stake in the road car company and supplies engines to the road car company. And so is it ideal brand alignment for Aston Martin to be aligned with Honda? And they came out and just very simply answered, no, it's not. But the purpose of the F1 team is to win. And that's the priority. And that is a good answer. Aston Martin is absolutely becoming the team I want McLaren to be. And it pains me deeply. And at some point, I'm going to just claim that it's an American team. I've long been claiming McLaren's an American team because of Zach Brown. But I'm going to just claim that Aston Martin is an American team because Canadians are sort of like Americans. <laughs> if you squid. They, they are uh, the Jewish team. Yes, they are. So, you know, team of the chosen people. Yes, indeed. It. And honestly, I have been wanting to root for Aston uh, this whole time, both for the, you know, this is Eddie Jordan's Jordan team in Origins, and he has said that he still has great affection and roots for them and everything. And, frankly, I love the Aston Martin logo and all of it. And so I am ready to root for Aston Martin. And if a, Fernando Alonso is giving us both his racing and his villainy in equal measures, all the better. Excellent. All right. And so to close out Formula One, we have the one most dramatic question. Okay. Whither Charles at his home race this year? Last year, he completed a Monaco race for the first time in his racing life. Before that, he has repeatedly crashed in various ways and been tragically removed. Will this be the year that Charles... I I am going to venture out and say that on this, a down year for Ferrari, 
Charles, who has still shown the ability to compete for polls, can put it on poll and just meander his way around, leading a uh, you know a cargo train through the streets <laughs> of Monaco and bring home victory. If, especially if, he uh, takes inspiration from one of the all-time Monaco greats and triple crown holder, Graham Hill, and adopts that pencil-thin <laughs> mustache. I realized this earlier today or earlier this week, that Charles needs the Graham Hill mustache to <laughs> truly own the Monaco streets. So... Number one, absolutely not. That would look terrible. It would be hilarious. It would be hilarious, but it would be worse than Christian Lungard's mustache. <laughs> I'm not sure that he could also grow one effectively. Like, I know he gets sort of like some peach fuzz situation, but I don't know if it grows out enough to really do that Graham Hill mustache. You, you don't need much for that mustache, though. I, I am confident, based on his uh, stubble density, that he could get the Graham Hill mustache. Okay, so then what I don't for those of our listeners who read a great uh, F1 newsletter, Engine Failure, definitely recommend check it out. Google Engine Failure F1. I think it'll probably come up, but if it doesn't, I'm sorry. Um, it, it may also just come up with Ferrari news. So <laughs> yeah, but uh, this this newsletter written by the lovely and talented Lily Herman. Uh, goes deep into Carlos Sainz denim theory. And what this breaks down to roughly is that when Carlos wears denim on race weekend, he does well. When he wears not denim, other weird things happen. One of these things is when he wears his white pants, it's chaos for everyone. This weekend, Carlos was wearing white pants. Charles no. was wearing no. white cargo Carlos. pants. Carlos! Carlos! So I think that we can safely say this is not going to be Charles' year. Okay, yeah, I retract that. In the future, he will adopt the uh, Graham Hill mustache and ride to victory. Once so I, Carlos has gotten his pants under control. I mean, it would be interesting if he did adopt the mustache for this year, which I don't think he has, so I guess it's a little too late. But whether the power of the mustache is greater than the power of the pants. Whoo! That is true competition on the streets of Monaco. All right. And we also have the other leg of the triple crown, the home favorite, the oldest race in the world, the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indianapolis 500 this weekend. And so... Uh, I, I think it is only fitting that we make our predictions and stake our credibility on the line in a competitive fashion of sorts. And so uh, we have borrowed from our uh, fierce competitors at the Pit Lane Parlay, uh, which is co-hosted by an actual Indy 500 competitor, <laughs> um, a predictions game that uh, should work pretty well where we will each pick one car from the uh, first 11 of the starters, the top 11, then one car from the middle 11, 
and one car from the last 11 cars. And we will see who has the best uh, consolidated finish by the end. Okay. So I figure we will go at this by uh, starting at the top of the grid and um, working our way down. And we'll just alternate picks. And this is not snake fashion. This is not knockout. Just pick who you think, who you want to pick to do best. Well, sorry, um, is this what I think will happen or what I want? It's up to you how you want to predict. Okay, I'm going to... So I'm a big fan of hedging my emotional bets. So this is going to be sort of what I think is going to happen, but maybe don't want to have happen. But because that way, when it do, if it happens, I'll feel good about my predictions. And if it doesn't happen, I'll be happy. Okay, but be able to justify your picks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not just going to be like, I think that uh, Kyle Kirkwood's going to win. <laughs> okay, not. so from the first 11, Elena, who is your pick? I'm going to go with Alex Pillow. I oh. am not a, I'm not a fan. I would not be happy if he wins, but he is doing very well so far in the month of May. He's a very fast driver, and he has not won a 500. So I'm saying Alex Pillow for the month of May sweep. Yeah, this honestly, to me, looks like the safest prediction. You know, Ganassi car, Pillow has been out in front by miles. But I can't bring myself to do that. And so hearing um, a lot of talk, from uh, Rossi about how good Pato's car has been. I am picking Pato Award to win the Indianapolis 500. Okay, that's that's where I would have wanted to go if I were okay putting all my emotional eggs in one basket. All right, so now the second set of 11. Okay. Elena. So I did not think ahead on this one. So I'm looking at it right now and stalling, stalling. I think okay, that... Okay, I can go ahead and I am going to pick Joseph Newgarden. Pinsky okay. has not been great at Indy uh, this year. However, mm. I'm just going to continue to bet on Joseph Newgarden muscling his car around faster than everyone else. Okay, I'm going to go with Ryan hunter Ray, my good friend Ryan. <laughs> uh, I have met him for those who are not in on this joke uh, I have a nice photo of me with him uh, back from when he was a full time driver so he's my good friend now that's how it works um, and he you know has a lot of experience racing here he has a lot of experience sort of starting from the middle and working his way up to the front so I'm going with Ryan Hunter Ray alright and now for your pick from the back 11, I, again, can lead so you can look at who is there. We are referencing from our good friends at Yahoo Sports, fine purveyors of all things motorsport related. Um, I, I, I was tempted, I will say, um, to go with 
Callum uh, because he he got in place with a car that he had like six hours of shakedown time on and he has had more practice since and he's a really good driver um but i think my pick from this is going to be graham rahal oh you stole mine i don't know that i (laughs) want to have the same pick though but give us your reasoning on graham rahal so Graham Rahal is uh, now not in a Rahal car, which is perhaps the biggest factor. Uh, and instead, he is racing in a, another car that, along with a history of um, being able to move up the pack. Uh, generally in his races, he has started from the back and used his racecraft to move his way forward. And so I think you'll be able to do that in a car and an engine that he has never driven before. <laughs> Perhaps I'm now having second thoughts about my pick, but I'm still going to say that he moves his way forward. Okay. I'm going to switch and go for Marco Andretti. And this is in no small part wish casting because he would be, I believe, the third generation Andretti to win the 500, which would be amazing. <sighs> Uh-huh. Uh huh. Also, I mean, he's a good driver. Uh, I also am going betting heavy on the Honda engines uh, to be good in the race with where, like, being able to run a little bit longer, be a little better at the fuel save might be a benefit. So, yeah, Marco Andretti. All right. My, uh, my reaction to that comes from watching a uh, classic IndyCar race at Texas, I think, where um, they talk about Marco Andretti being, you know, loving to ride up near the wall and being (laughs) a master of riding up near the wall again and again. And then 10 laps later, he loses his car into the wall. (laughs) Well, here's to hoping that doesn't happen. (laughs) Indeed. Hopefully Marco Andretti has had his one crash for the week. Well, and, you know, maybe he's been, like, getting some good tips from his dad, his grandpa. Uh, He's going to apply those here and really put it together for the 500 this year. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, to close us out in this special bonus motorsport weekend edition... Uh, I, I will close with a slightly modified of our outro. Our, our favorite ma- motorsport thing. It could be a fact or anecdote. It could just be a thing that you like. Elena, do you have a thing? I do. I mean, my favorite thing about motorsport is Vroom Vroom. But vroom. I did actually come up with a fact. So as this weekend ha- has two of the legs of the Triple Crown, uh in the Indy 500 and the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, John, do you know which drivers have successfully completed those two legs specifically? My other favorite Not thing- Not Fernando Alonso. <laughs> my other favorite thing for listeners is putting John on the spot. So this is really <laughs> combining lots of lots of good stuff. Uh, I, I do not know beyond Graham Hill. Uh, so- I would assume Mario Andretti. No, 
Mario Andretti. Mm. Mario Andretti did not win the Monaco Grand Prix. Gotcha. So uh, there's only one. There's only one who has won these two legs who is not Graham Hill. Graham Hill obviously won all three. But uh, the one guy who won uh, both the Indy 500, won the Indy 500 in 2000 and 2015. And he won the Monaco Grand Prix in 2003. Is it Mr. Blonde Hair? It is not Jacques Villeneuve. Uh-huh. He has only won the Indy 500. He never won Monaco. So who is it? Juan Pablo Montoya. Juan Pablo! Love it. Love it. Okay, we need to get Juan Pablo in a, a winning Le Mans car. So he actually, he did in 2021 win the LMP2 Pro-Am category. But that's not considered the, it's an overall victory, so it's not considered winning the Triple Crown. Right. And I, I, okay, so he has like two and a quarter crowns. Well, and to to Villeneuve's credit, he has won the F1 World Championship, just not won Monaco. And some people say that being World Drivers Champion is what counts. They're wrong. It's Monaco. But uh, <laughs> he's won that, and Montoya has not won the, the World Drivers' Championship. He just won Monaco. And, of course, Mario Andretti has also won an F1 World Championship. Exactly. So uh, two, two ways in which Mar- Mario Andretti and Jacques Villeneuve uh, are similar. Perhaps the only two. <laughs> I was going to say. All right. And to close this out, my favorite motorsport thing is indubitably Graham Hill's mustache. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. This has been Red, White, and Vroom. Tune in for motorsport, folks. Vroom, vroom.